Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Chief Clyde Gordon, 38-year veteran of the fire service with volunteer and career experience. Currently a district chief with the City of Houston Fire Department, Chief Gordon's principles are simple. Strong work ethic, exceptional fire ground operations, slash management, along with building crew integrity and responsibility. When you listen to Chief Gordon speak, you'll understand why he's a fan favorite to those wanting to make a positive impact within the fire service. With that, I present Mr. Chief Clyde Gordon. Well, Clyde Gordon, uh, a district chief with the city of Houston, and I've been there around a little over 33 years now. I'm the battalion chief or district chief uh, in the downtown area. So if you were to look at the city of Houston skyline, just Google it and see all those high-rise buildings. That's uh, basically where I work on a daily basis. Um, How I got in the fire service is uh, really actually probably a sad story. (laughs) Uh, Not sad as in uh, heart-wrenching, but sad as in you think it would be a little more heroic. But uh, I was a 16-year-old kid. I lived in a small town outside of Houston, about an hour or so outside of Houston, about 2,000 people in that small town. And course after high school when school was out you'd go eat at the only restaurant that was really available which was pizza hut and uh, have a good time with your buddies and so uh, when it came time to pay the bill my uh, best friend Bubba of course because I was only Clyde for a thousand miles and everybody else's name was Bubba in that town um, he paid for his meal and his meal ended up being 50 percent cheaper than my meal and uh, I wanted to know why in the world his was half price and mine wasn't. And he pulled out a little typewritten card, looked like a little business card. And he said, well, I'm a member of the Tomball Volunteer Fire Department. And I was like, well, by golly, by the four of the days over, I too will be a member of the Tomball Volunteer Fire Department. <laughs> so it would have been nice to say uh, that I joined because I wanted to save my neighbors and protect property and all the uh, classic uh, job interview answers but to be perfectly honest it was uh, a kid who wanted 50 percent discount on pizza and uh, I honestly had no earthly idea what the fire department did I uh, I never had really dreamed to be a firefighter when I was little I wanted to be the garbage man because he rode on back of the truck and I thought that was pretty cool so uh, but the best part was uh, the Tomball Volunteer Fire Department in 1985-86. We still rode tailboard, so I uh, I got to learn to ride tailboard. And uh, girls think firemen are a lot cooler than garbage men, and uh, then it just kind of grew from there. It it became a passion of mine, and and uh, now I know I'm a little older, and uh, I think that was God's way of getting me into the business. He knew get a fat kid in Pizza Hut and give it to him half price. Well, hey, man, we'll get him into the fire station somehow. And uh, <laughs> that's that's really the way it started. It's pretty sad, but uh, uh, it really, it's changed my life. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Okay. All right. Interesting. Very funny, interesting story there. <laughs> um, uh, so my next uh, question for you is, what does the term aggressive mean to you? Um, so, you know, aggressive, everybody likes to throw around the word aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking with Steve Robertson not too long ago, a good friend of mine from Ohio does a lot of training and, and, uh, I think one of my classes had aggressive in it and, and, uh, you know, we're buddies and we, we talk honestly with each other and he goes, Clyde, I'm so sick of people using the word aggressive. And I'm like, All right, like, what do you mean? You know? And, uh, he said, uh, isn't that just doing it right? And I was like, man, the more I thought about that, I was like, man, he's he's on the money, right? Because um, people want to use the word aggressive firefighter, aggressive fire ground, all these things as if they're something different than they should be. Um, aggressive got a bad name because aggressive was equal to stupid in a lot of people's mind. Mm-hmm. And uh I, I, I'm definitely a product of that environment. I love the Houston Fire Department. 
there's without a doubt. But um, I tell people all the time, when I came in, no one ever told me I'd get hurt doing this job. And it was all about aggressiveness, uh, being one of the most aggressive fire departments in the country. And and uh, we wore a hood that was equal equal to in protection to our coat. I mean, the TPP ratings were the same or higher than the coat. So if one of those hoods was good, well, two had to be better. And uh, of course, that would require you to double liner and double glove. And and uh, we we took aggressiveness to a, a whole nother level. Now, we did save a lot of people by doing that because we could enter environments that most people couldn't. Um, but it was almost in my case, anyway, I can only speak for myself, but in some cases it was by accident. Um, I was a young guy. I was there to have a good time. Fires were fun to me, still are, but I understand the big picture now where I didn't then. Uh, so we were aggressive and not in an intelligent aggressive. Um, now, there's no excuse for you not to be a smart, intelligent, educated, aggressive firefighter. Uh, I tell guys all the time, people all the time, hey, place yourself in that victim's spot. Place yourself. If What kind of fireman do you want to come to your house on a Tuesday at 3 in the morning? No one's going to call and say, hey, send me those lackadaisical, complacent, lazy guys from Station 2 over here. My fire's not that bad. Mm -hmm. They want a guy to show up, a person to show up, that's aggressive with an aggressive mindset. Um, and there's no reason now for us not to understand the fire ground better than we ever have. And you can show up and be very aggressive and uh, search aggressively, make good stretches and good pushes, um, but still remain within a semi um, safe environment. Um, this job will never be a safe uh, occupation. You know, um, it's an inherently dangerous career that we've chosen. Um, but we can do things to improve fire conditions, to uh, improve survivability and improve our own survivability. Uh, we just don't always work as hard as we should to do those things. But I believe every firefighter ought to have an aggressive mindset. Everything that we approach should be get in, get in, get in. Um, and get these people out. That's truly what separates us from everyone else. Uh, if you show up at four in the morning, uh, you might probably get beat in by the cops, right? Because they're out. You were in the rack. They were they were on the road. Um, so they get there a little before you. Uh, you know, you you approach a, a a house that's burning, heavy black smoke pouring out of windows. There's a dad in the front yard, and he's in full panic mode, probably in a pair of suited up boxers. He's begging you for help. The cops are yelling at you because they've done everything they can. They broke windows and jokingly, we always tease, they park right in the way, right? And, uh, right. you know, they. but the point is that they did everything they could, but the children are still trained or the wife is still trained. It's when we show up, we are what separate ourselves from everyone else. We have the capability, the training, the equipment, the experience to go into that environment and save those people. We have the air to go in there and save them. I believe that is our what separates us from everyone else. And we have to always remember that. If, if it's been three years since you've made a good fire, I understand that, but it can happen today. It can happen tonight. And you have to be prepared for that. You know, 87 or 67%, I think, of the victims are fine in zero visibility, high heat conditions. If you're not trained and experienced in that and you don't always strive for that environment to be comfortable in it, then 70% of the time you're going to be unable to save a victim, you know, or at least be in an uncomfortable position for yourself. So aggressiveness is everything that we do. I want my guys and gals to show up and think aggressively, push aggressively. I don't want them to be stupid. I don't want to get anybody hurt, but we've chosen this career. There's a time and a place to where we have to push it to the extreme in my opinion and uh if you've prepared for that then that typically goes fairly well um but you can't prepare for that without constant training without a mindset from your fire chief all the way down to the newest guy of this is what we do uh, to prepare those people for that environment because Again, it, it separates us. I believe that we're there to place ourselves in harm's way to enter and search survivable space and or create survivable space 
and continue with that search to remove fire victims. That's it. That's what separates you from everybody else walking the face of the earth because you have the capability of doing it. It's not my job to decide whether you live or die. I believe it's God's job to decide whether you live. But it's my job to get you out. And once I get you out, then we move on from there. But, and I know not everybody is uh, savable. You know what I mean? I understand there are some places we just can't go. Right. But you have to make that decision when you're trying to get into that space, right? Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get in there. I just can't get in there. It keeps beating me back. keeps pushing me back. can't decide that from the cab of the truck. You can't decide that from some kitchen table. Um, you know, there's fire departments out there that have no entry policies, right? They're trying to protect their firefighter by giving them a set of rules that, to me, don't make any sense. They're not achievable. A piece of paper is not going to keep you any safer. So if you pull up and you have a no entry policy, we can't enter unless a confirmed fire victim or the fire is under control. Well, you've left that critical 67% there mm-hmm. that are in there who are in high heat, zero visibility conditions who need you. That's truly what you're there for. I understand the people the fire chiefs or whoever they are writing those policies, they want to keep their firefighters safe. But our firefighter comes, our our safety comes from preparation. If you prepare a firefighter to work in that environment, then he will be able to survive and rescue that victim in that environment. If you never prepare them, you can't ever expect them to do well in that environment. So aggressive to aggressiveness to me is, is, exactly what we need to be it's not a bad word um it's not a word that you can just throw out and and it shouldn't separate you from everyone else everyone should be an aggressive firefighter but that's not the culture that we have in the fire service there's about 10 or 20 percent who are who are those guys right and uh and i say guys meaning everybody i don't don't right i don't want make people upset about guys and girls and all that that means nothing to me it's your heart what means but um yeah i mean there there's always going to be that 10 or 20 percent i think but we should all strive to be part of that 20 percent. because who do you want coming to your house that's what i ask who do you want showing up at your front door um you want the biggest baddest guys and gals that you can come up with mm-hmm. okay all right um i skipped this question before but uh for those that don't know can you tell us a little bit about Houston Fire Department and the size and the amount of personnel under sure. your command and things of that? Sure, sure. So uh, the Houston Fire Department is uh, third or fourth largest fire department in the country. <clears throat> we cover around 650 square miles. Uh, I tell people that Houston is kind of like New York or Chicago that somebody stepped on. Uh, we just, where those areas are highly populated and in a small fairly small square mileage uh, we're just squished out and cover a a huge area Um, we have like 14 high-rise districts just as an example i think in my first interior somewhere around 350 commercial residential high-rises all the way down to a 800 square foot uh, shotgun shack Um, so it's a very diverse area Uh, we basically have no zoning so it's very easy to have a single family residence next door to a battery remanufacturer next door to a 15 story residential high rise. Um, so you you can't go to one end of town and just do this and, and that type of thing. Um, you, you really have to be pretty versed in, in, in every type of fire. Attack. There are areas that are heavily um, Oh, Davis is on the southwest side. That's that's typically garden apartments, but he's got everything in the world too. Okay. Um, but uh, as far as size, uh, like I said, 650 square miles. We have right at a hundred fire stations. We have 20 or 21 districts, and a district is typically going to be four fire stations. Um, we have about 4,000, not quite 4,000 employees on duty every day. Uh, around 780-ish on shift. Um, and uh, like for myself, I cover four stations, which is going to be somewhere around 40, yeah, a little more than that, 50 some odd guys 
uh, that are my responsibility. And of course, we we mute, we we run with other districts. So um, I like to tell just as a general rule, the inner loop. We have three loops here in Houston, yeah. uh, but the inner loop would be my territory, which is fairly large. And like I say, it goes from very low income, highly populated, small areas up to 75 stories of commercial high rise. Okay. People aren't typically the problem for us. We have a lot of people we can throw at something. Absolutely. So that's where it's different than most places in the country, you know. Um, that That's a blessing to us. I can just keep calling people and people and people. We'll eventually okay. smother it out or something. Okay. Okay. Um so you're with you've been with the city of Houston for 33 years, and I'm assuming uh, you've climbed the rank all the way up to your current position now. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. So in the 33 years, um, we have uh, you know the firefighter position, the driver position, which we call an EO. We have a captain's position, which would be the engine captain. Then what we call a senior captain is the ladder truck captain. Then you have district chief or battalion chief, which most people know, deputy assistant and fire chief. So, yeah, I've uh, I've promoted up to district chief. Um, I was a firefighter for 11 years. I I never have promoted to promote. I see a lot of that going on now. And mm -hmm. it's a it's kind of a different fire service now. Mm -hmm. and, and I get it. These young guys need to promote. They need to make more money. They need to do this and that. Um but uh, I just loved being a firefighter. It was the best thing I'd ever done. I was also a paramedic at when I first came in, and that's kind of a uh, dreaded assignment, especially here in the city of Houston. Right. You're assigned to the medic. That's all you do. It's a meat grinder. Um, it was rough. Those few years were rough. and uh, But I learned a lot, and it helped me make decisions on my own because you were out there by yourself it wasn't mm -hmm. fire ground decisions but it was whether people live or die and there wasn't a whole lot of uh supervision back in those days you were kind of out there on your own mm -hmm. and uh so that was a benefit to me um but uh it wasn't something that i just thoroughly enjoyed it was kind of a you know something you had to do so you just did it and i tried to do it well but once i got off of that thing i didn't have any interest in going back because if i'd have promoted the driver i'd have gone right back so i spent several years just on an engine and a truck <clears throat> and uh worked with some outstanding people um, that really taught me there were several old guys there so they taught me what the old fire department was like right there were several just outstanding younger guys there and and uh, we just had the best times of our lives and uh, then I promoted the driver and drove the engine and then drove the truck, um, both of which I enjoyed, but I kind of felt like I was out of the game a little. And uh, then I went to the engine, promoted the captain, went to the engine and stayed there about eight years um, because if I could do it today and when I'm 60 and everything else, I'd have probably just stayed right there okay. because to me, that was the best job. Um I, I didn't enjoy the truck. I know all the truck guys out there think I'm stupid, but um, there was some aspects of the truck that I liked. The sleep was always nice, you know, and uh, <laughs> the uh, when you do cool stuff on the truck, it's cool. There's not a doubt in the world, but right. a lot of times being the officer on the truck, I was kind of just babysitting everybody else, make sure everybody else did what they were supposed to do and did it well. And, but I really enjoyed the engine. Um, I, I enjoyed all the runs. I liked, uh, I worked in a real low income area um, that uh, we just made a tremendous amount of fires. I think the longest tour or stretch I went without a tack hose hitting the ground was like seven working days, which is like, what, less than a month. Uh -huh. So, and uh, we did that for years. Mm -hmm. uh, copper theft was huge. Uh, they realized that if they went in and burned them, we'd never catch them. And they could go in the next day, steal all the copper out of the house. And if they got caught, it was trespassing. But if they had been in there before the fire, then it was breaking an entry, which is a felony. So they would, we had a lot of arson cases and then uh, just, you know, too many folks, real old neighborhood, uh, real low income always is good for fires too. So um <clears throat> But I, I really enjoyed it because one of the things I learned in that neighborhood was that uh, um, 
these folks really truly need us. And that, you know, as you get older, when you're young, everything's just fun. You know, it's exciting. It's fun. uh, um, And you don't really see the big picture, but when things happen to you personally in life, when you see things happen to other people, you start getting a little age, a little maturity, um, things start to change and you start to see things for what they truly are. Um, we would, uh, and I learned on that engine, like, Hey man, these folks don't have anything, you know? Uh, so if it takes us two minutes to get there as opposed to four, well, they got two more minutes of stuff left. You know what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. I would see people, we would leave, they would board. I'd go back the next day just to check or drive by it or whatever. And they had boarded up the two bedrooms that were burned out and they were living on the other side that hadn't burned. You know, Um, they had nowhere to go. They don't have insurance. They don't have family to take them. They don't have. So uh, it really started helping me understand what we're truly there for. Um, I tell a story. I had a new guy and, uh, It was five in the evening, you know, dinner time. We make a house fire and we're heading over there. You see a big header and, and, uh, you know, he got you, you got a good one, you know, and as we pull up in front, never will forget, there was this old lady trying to get across the yard in her, in her, uh, walk with her walker. Okay. And of course, when I see her trying to get away from it, the first thing I think is where's pops, you know, there's gotta be an old man somewhere. And so I'm hollering at her trying to get it. And she's like, no, it's only me. It's only me. It's okay. Well, this was one of those that it was questionable. You know what I mean? Like okay. I could have gone defensive. No one would have said a word, but I, I, I always make the effort. Okay. So it's kind of like being in a fight with a guy. If you, if I get on you and you, and you stumble and back off, well, I'm not stopping, you know, mm-hmm. what I mean? mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna mm-hmm. keep at it. And, uh, uh and that's the way this was. I had that young man with me, stuck him up through the front door. We started pushing real hard, and the fire the fire gave in. It started backing off, backing off. And, and it was peering beam. He had fallen through the floor a couple times, and and he was fine. You know, uh, there was one room that, that wasn't heavily involved. It was just black smoke boiling out of it. And that's where we were trying to get, trying to cut it off from that room. And uh, he did a great job, and he learned a lot. And um Everybody wanted to be, when we were done, there was a few people out there that were a little critical. Maybe we shouldn't have gone in. Maybe we should have done this. Maybe we should have. And uh, I was like, hey, man, we're all good. We do aggressive stuff here. Uh, I would have never got that young man hurt, but it went our way, you know? So anyway, I went and, and I took that stuff personally. This lady was probably in her 80s. She had very, very little. And, uh, so I went and talked to her. I said, you know, ma'am, I'm sorry. We just, uh, you know, we, we really weren't able to save anything. And uh, she was like, honey, that's okay. Uh, she said, that old house doesn't mean nothing to me. I said, all right. She said, but there are a few things. Would you mind going to look in my shiffer robe? And uh, if you grow up in the South or you, you grow up in these old neighborhoods, you know, a shiffer robe is a dresser. Okay. And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll look. What do you need? And she said, there's a, a bank envelope underneath my unmentionables. And I was like, okay. So so I took that rookie in there and I said, hey, man, let's go see if we can find this stuff. So we we go in this bedroom and if you had black paint on a roller and rolled from the carpet to the ceiling, that's what it looked like in there. Right. It was blacked out. Right. And uh, so I said, look over there in the, in the shift robe. And he's looking at me crazy. That's the dresser and look yeah. underneath her her slips and stuff, her unmentionables, you know, and he said, man, I found something. He's got a little bank envelope and it's sealed and there couldn't have been two or three bills in it. Uh, we didn't look obviously, but it was just flat as can be. And, uh, and I said, yeah, that's it. I said, all right, we'll tell you, look around and see if you see anything else. Well, next to the bed in a cup were some teeth, like her dentures. Okay. So I said, grab those dentures. And next to that was a huge old family Bible. And uh, it was one of those Bibles back in the day, they would write all the family history and, and who was married to who and all that. So that's really all that was left in that room. So uh told the kids, hey, grab that too. This stuff would have been what we'd have thrown out in a in a scoop shovel, you know, right. in an hour. Right. But, well, but that's all we could find. So we walk out and <clears throat> she's sitting now in the street with uh, her, her kids who are in their 50s and and as we got closer, 
they start cheering and mama, mama, he found it. And just so excited, you know, and I kind of looked around like wondering who had done something pretty spectacular, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, ended up realizing, well, she's talking about us. And as I got there, <clears throat> I handed her the money and I handed her that Bible and she was just bawling, you know, and, and she was like, baby, this is all I've ever wanted out of that house. This was my great grandmother's Bible. And it has all of our family history in it. And, uh, you know, her teeth brought her some dignity. She didn't want to sit out there in front of all those people right. with no teeth. Right. And I don't know how much money was in there, but that was all she had. And, and, and it really taught me, like, what it's all about. You know, that was such an example of why we push so hard, why we get out of the house so fast, why, even though we made 16 EMS runs before that, why we always got to roll out as hard as we can. And you know what? Property matters too. Mm -hmm. I would have never got us hurt, lost, killed, anything for that. But it all went our way. And we made a huge impact on this woman's life. And I I promise those those daughters and that that Bible will continue to pass down. And it even has more of a story now. But, you know, that was one of the reasons that I just love the engine so much. You could impact people's lives. You never know where people are at on a daily basis. Um, And we get frustrated and we get tired of it. And, you know, it happens to me too. Um, but you got to understand how much of an impact you can make. And uh, so I love the engine, but <clears throat> I, uh, I got hurt several times there. Um, and uh, I had a, a injured back and a, a broken neck. And uh, I just realized that I'm not going to be able to do this forever. Right. And, uh, when I went in for all the surgery for my spine and all that, they, they told me I was disabled. So you'll never go back to a fire station again. Uh, I was 46 years old. I just sat there and cried because I don't know how to do nothing else. You know, mm-hmm. I, I literally don't know how to do anything else. Right. <laughs> right. I can be a fireman or I can be a fireman, but can't go out and get a job as an insurance guy. Cause I don't know how to do anything. Right. So, uh, I begged and pleaded and, and, uh, convince them that if I made one more promotion to district chief, then I'd never go in a burning building again. Cause that was their concern. I'd been crushed twice pretty bad. And okay. uh, they were like, man, if, you know, if anything ever hits you again like that, or he said, you know, we can't really tell it. You could just be walking one day and that's it. And I said, well, if I make battalion chief or district chief, I'll never go in a burning building again, which is eh, stretch the truth. <laughs> a little questionable. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm not one to sit outside very much, but okay. sometimes when I have to, I will. Um, and anyway, so that, that, that was the, the driving force that made me study for chief. Okay. Now where I am in my life and my fire service career, I absolutely love it because again, I, I have a, I can control what happens around me, even though it's one district, one shift out of many, um, I have an impact on what they do on a daily basis, how they train, uh, their mindset as far as what we're to do and, and how aggressive we should be and, and what we're truly there for. And, and it spreads, you know, I have some influence uh, in what goes on around me. Right. And, uh, and I'm not getting just pounded every day. I'll be honest. Uh, you know, we still roll out of that station makes 50 or 60 runs a day, typically on five pieces of equipment. Um, I might make none. I might make seven. They wake me up those 50 times. I can tell you that because we don't have the luxury of lights only come on certain rooms, but, uh, yeah. but I enjoy being busy. I enjoy being around guys who like being busy. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't deal with a lot of uh, personnel issues because they're just too busy. They're too busy. To get mad at each other. If they get mad at each other, they're going to make nine runs and they're like, well, I guess you're not that bad. So, uh, so anyway, that's a, that's, that's kind of how I've gotten to where I am. Um, I, I really enjoy this portion of my career. Uh, I'm not sure how much longer I'll I'll do it. Uh, mm-hmm. Some days, man, I, I want to stay forever. Then other days, I, I, I'm kind of ready to go home. Right. Um, I mean, honestly, we won't make enough fires anymore. I hate to say that, you know. I know I make a lot of fires. I make a lot of fires more than a lot of people, but uh, I get bored and. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe my things are shifting. Maybe I can do this training more and just share what I know with other people a little more. And um, there's some days I just want to take my wife to the mountains and walk around a, a trail and, you know, do those things. But uh, 
Um, but I still love the fire service. I still love going to fires. And, uh, I get tired of the bullhorn at my level. There's a lot of it that kind of falls uh, down and hits me. I'm sure. And, uh, yeah. And I try not to let any of it get past me. Um, I'm not always the favorite guy with a lot of our, my command staff. They, for whatever reason, don't like me. <laughs> well, that's okay. I don't, I don't, I just work for them. I'm not there or, you know, uh, uh, I'm not there for them. Right. right. I, I, they're my boss, but I work for the people around me, whether they're the civilians or the firefighters there. And that's, that's who I'm there. And, and that causes strife sometimes. Right. Um, they have a job to do and I have a job to do. My mm -hmm. job is to defend the people on the streets and defend my firefighters. And when they're doing stuff that I don't agree with, or I think is detrimental to either one of those groups, it's my job is to say something. Well, they don't always like hearing it. So eh, whatever. No, I, I totally get it. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's actually perfect because like <laughs> it, it segues to the next question of, in your opinion, do you think there should be a years of service clause for promotion? So for the city of Houston, you have to spend two years in any uh, rank before you can even test for the next promotion. Okay. So that that's the world I've grown up in. I understand that doesn't work for every fire department, right? Because sometimes, man, we just got to promote a guy. Um, I think in the, in the perfect world, yes, I think you should spend a certain amount of time doing job a before you move on to job B. Right. Um, you can you can uh, go to every class, every conference, every listen to every podcast there is available, and you will be a knowledgeable firefighter. But there's nothing that can replace experience on the fire ground. It's just you just can't do it. Um, and unfortunately, that's our the, that's where we lack the mm -hmm. most. Um, I think like, so for me, right. I had plenty of experience when I made battalion chief, <clears throat> but my experience was one story, two story. Um, I was a ghetto firefighter, right? I hope that's not yeah. offensive to anybody, but guys get what I'm talking about. Right. right? If the right. fire station had barbed wire around it and, and cameras, Hey, that's where I wanted to work. Cause mm -hmm. we make a lot of fires there. Mm -hmm. Um, so one story, two stories, apartments, man, I was, I was good to go. Uh, but I didn't know what a jockey pump was. I didn't know what fire department connection, you know what I mean? I'd read it in a book, but I'd never seen a 75-story high-rise smoke removal system. Okay, I don't know anything about that. Um, so I, when I got transferred downtown, I'm a high-rise chief. I was the high-rise guy. Um, a lot of those guys that were there, they didn't really want me to come because they knew I didn't know what I was doing down there as far as those big buildings, they had spent their career there. Um, so what did I have to do, man? I got to get moving. I got to figure this out. I've got to train myself. I've got to find subject matter experts to surround myself with. I've got to talk to people, read books, whatever. And I think really now that's what every firefighter needs to be doing. If you find yourself, Hey, all of a sudden, poof, you're a captain. Um, man, you got some work to do. You can't just sit there and wait for fire ground training to, you know, to come along and uh, and make you a better captain. Now it will, your experiences will, but you've got to start making a lot of effort to uh, improve yourself. And the good thing is there's lots of stuff out there. Um, again, you can't replace that experience, but you've got to start filling your, your, your file cabinet, your brain with as much information and how did this work for this guy? Um, this is a similar situation I may be faced with. What should I do? You know what I mean? Right. Um, because we're going to draw on experiences to make decisions. Um, if you don't have any experiences in that environment, well, you've got to draw upon someone else's or at least have a, a kind of a lane to be in. Um, I, I had an experience as an engine captain. I was a good tactical officer. My guys were tactically outstanding, um, but I did not know how to truly be a leader. They made it so easy. We showed up. We were the go-to guys. We did great on the fire ground. We were the chief's buddies, favorites, you know, because we mm -hmm. got work done. Mm -hmm. But when I had a personnel issue, 
they didn't know how to deal with it. And uh, I had an experience with a guy who I knew. I knew his dad. He had been a paramedic forever, 20-something years. Long story short, he gets assigned to me on the engine. Not a paramedic anymore. He hasn't put his gear on in 20 years, probably. Um, I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't want to be the bad guy. I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I didn't want his dad mad at me. I kind of put it on my guys to, hey, y'all teach him. And uh, they weren't able to teach him. And it was causing a lot of problems. Uh, we were still very busy. And basically, we were down one guy. He was there, but that's all he was. Right. And uh, when it came to, hey, you got to do something about this. You're the boss. You're the captain. Uh, he walked in my office that day and said, hey, I'm going to transfer to a real slow part of town. And I said, man, that's awesome, right? Because now I don't have to deal with it. It's not my problem anymore. Kick right. that can down the road. You leave here happy. I'm happy. I never had to have a difficult conversation with you. Um, and six months later, he was dead. He went to a house fire, probably the first house fire he'd gone to in 20-some-odd years. And uh, he died in it. And wow. There were a lot of things that I knew about him mm -hmm. that I could have fixed, you know, whether to save his life. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think it probably would have a lot of them because a lot of it was very simple. SCBA familiarization, how to call a mayday, you know, but my guys knew it. I didn't want to, it was just an awkward position for a young new officer. And, uh, I took the easy way out and the guy died. So, what I won't ever do is allow that to occur again. Right. And those are things that sometimes, unfortunately, you have to learn a very, very hard lesson. And I did. And almost everywhere I go now, I talk about Danny. Um, Danny was grown. Danny could make decisions on his own, too. But I had a responsibility as an officer at that time that I had him to to uh, address some of those difficult um, conversations with people. And uh now, what it's done in hindsight, I think, is a lot of people have gotten the message. A lot of people have had hard conversations from me, and I've spoke about him almost everywhere. There's been thousands and thousands of people hear his story, and I, I and I think everybody has a guy like him somewhere in their station or right. or whatever. And I think probably he saved more lives now than he ever has because guys have said, "Man, I, I can't let that happen," you know. So they talk to this guy that that has a hard time and. And uh, they deal with it, right? Like me, man, I talk to every guy that comes to work for me. We set expectations. We help you meet those expectations. If you're not meeting those expectations, we're going to figure out why. Is it a training issue? Do you not care? You know what I mean? So it's changed how I do things. Um, but all that's experience. You know right. what I mean? And so um, if you're going to promote a guy that has no experience, you've got to pour into him. And he's got to pour into himself. Fire departments need to do a better job at that secession training, right? I need to train you to be the engine captain, uh, not just go poof, here you are, you've been here the longest. Um, but if that's the only way you can do it, well, you better have a plan because that guy can get people hurt really, really quick. And uh, what we do is serious, you know? Yeah. It's not yeah. just EMS runs, liver babies, and car wrecks. All of a sudden, you you got guys dying around you or people dying around you i mean uh, that's not the time to figure it out so um yeah ideally i think you should stay there as long as as you can and, and don't be in a rush to promote you know promote when you're ready um i get it i know it's more money and everything else but from my experience we're always going to be broke so i've been doing this a long time and i still don't have enough money <laughs> Yes, sir. I like it. Most of y'all make more money than I do now, but eh, whatever. Um, but, you know, uh, I get it. And I know kids and families and wives all cost money. And, um, but uh, you need to really put a lot of time. I still read. Uh, my buddy Mo Davis, uh, you know, we travel a lot. We're always listening to a podcast, a, a book, uh, reading something, even the stuff we've already read or mm -hmm. um you know, learn from guys, uh, the high-rise guys in New York. Why in the world would I be so arrogant and stupid to not listen to those people? You right. know what I mean? Right. Uh, our high-rise guys that spent years in the city of Houston, why would I, you know, it's crazy to not listen to them. I promise no long, no matter how long you've been doing this, you don't know it all. Exactly. Somebody can teach you something. Uh, 
I went to a conference. One of the first conferences I ever spoke at was in Florida with Kirk Isaacson. And, and I was so lucky to be there and so excited to be there. And after I was done, I was walking around looking at some of the hot stuff and, you know, they're doing searches and stretches and ladders. And well, I'd done a lot of that. And, right. uh, but there was a guy from the West coast. I never will forget. He was uh, this throwing ladders. So I understand they're watching and he threw this 24 foot ladder and he did this little thing with his arms and shoulder. And, and uh, I probably couldn't repeat it to this day, but when I watched him do it, this ladder like magically just poof was in place. And I was like, what did you just do? And he looked at me like I was stupid, you know? And uh, he said, well, this is how we do it. We, uh, this is the only way I know how I've been doing it like this my whole career. And I was like, show it to me again. And he did it again. And I was like, holy crap. You know, if somebody would have shown me that 30 mm -hmm. years ago, what a difference that would have made. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think these conferences and things are just so important. You know, here I am. I had 30 years in the fire service. I was a district chief. I'd been on a truck for years, been on an engine for years. Um, and one guy from somewhere on the West Coast had one little thing that he did that would have changed everything I had done for years because right. it just made it so much better, so much easier. And you don't have to be from the city of Houston. You don't have to be from New York. You could be from Pocatello, Idaho. And if it's a good idea, it's a good idea. Or right. if it's an experience that you think that will help me, man, don't don't be so arrogant and egotistical that you can't learn. And unfortunately, large fire departments can be that way. Mine's one of them. Um, I love the Houston fire department. There's a lot of guys walking around that think, well, what are you going to teach me? You're from wherever. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a that's a bad attitude to have, man. We we didn't invent this crap. None of us rub sticks together and poof, <laughs> you know, in front of a cave somewhere. Um, you know, you you we can always learn from each other. So uh, that's that's a big part of it to me. Okay. All right. Um for promotion to company officer, are you in favor for a simulated computer fire scenario or a scenario involving real people? and companies where you're graded in real time at a training center? So we do a lot of uh, different training. You know, uh, I have a training company and we do hot training and scenarios. And uh, we do assessment centers here in Houston. And, and I understand the purpose behind it. Okay. Uh, there are guys who are better at, explaining themselves and the art test taking and those things. And, and I get that. Um, it's very, very difficult to simulate what we do. Mm -hmm. So um, <clears throat> as far as a computer simulation, I think that would probably be easier on whoever the test giver is. Okay. But uh, I would, if I had to pick one, it would be a, a true fire ground simulation in real time uh, with real people, because you're going to see how things uh, affect what we do, you know, um, as a, as an older chief, I can see newer chiefs, right. They'll say, you know, engine one, stretch a two and a half inch line to division two on the Charlie side. Right. Okay. Less than a minute later, engine one, you got that two and a half in place. No, he doesn't. You know what I mean? I can tell right. you he doesn't because I've tried to do that and it takes a lot of time. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So um, when you when you're just doing computer stuff, you're not going to get that sense of time and and uh, you know these guys are doing the best they can, but for whatever reason the engine's in the wrong place. And you know what I mean? I think it would just be a lot uh, better uh, judge or testing situation as far as how would this person respond when the two and a half doesn't get there when he wants it to. Mm -hmm. And now the fire has increased in size. Now it's out three windows instead of just one. Or, you know what I mean? I, mm -hmm. I think that would be an outstanding way to do that. And 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 that's what we try to do. You know, our training, we try to do things that are different, um, you know, with the, the training, the hot training that we do, because we want to throw you into that environment. The nice thing about us is we've all been to a lot of fires. So, you know, we know it's not half a pallet and half a flake of hay in there every time. This thing gets bad quick and guys get tangled up or they get lost or the uh, stairs are burned out on the inside. How do you deal with all those obstacles? 
And uh, I think that would be an outstanding way to do it. I think you truly see where people are and where they're coming from and, and even where your weaknesses are. As a fire chief, I would be interested in how are these guys doing? Say we were testing for an engine officer position. How are they doing overall? You know, where's their decision making? Um, because it's going to show the weaknesses in your fire department and where your training should be focusing. Uh, you know, it shouldn't be in stretching and, and getting water supplies. I mean, that should be a given. Okay. They're out there. I know that. Uh, yeah. I've been to a lot of fires with uh, water supply problems, and very rarely it is the water supply. It's the water supplier problem. <laughs> uh, you know, so right. uh, just a lot to it. And uh, anytime that you can do something that's as close to what we actually do on a daily basis, I think that would be a good Okay. All right. Uh, which characteristic or characteristics holds more weight in your opinion? Years of service, education, work ethic, or job experience? Um, well, it's going to be work ethic and job experience for me. Uh, <clears throat> years of service mean if you have work ethic and job experience and it comes with years of service, Mm -hmm. then that's okay. Right. Okay, right. But I know lots of guys been around 20, 25, 30 years. They ain't worth a squat. Never have been. Right. Um, so you come in, well, I got 25 years in. Well, we're, you've been spending most of that time on the toilet and the water fountain. Cause that doesn't do anything for me at all. You okay. know, um, education. I think, you know, nowadays all these guys are smarter college wise than I am. Right. Uh, but this is a blue collar job too. Right. Uh, I think the education helps us get paid more money. You know what I mean? Um, these guys are educated. I think they could uh, use that for our benefit, but sometimes you just need, you know, I tell people I had all three qualifications the fire department was looking for in 1990. I was big, dumb, and strong. You know, they were looking for big, dumb, strong guys that wouldn't ask any questions that would do anything that, they, that a guy told them to do, you know? Okay. And uh, we had a good fire department back then. I don't think it's a detriment to be educated, but I don't think it needs to necessarily be uh, the requirement. Uh, yeah. I see guys get promoted into upper like uh, command positions uh, because they have a wonderful resume mm -hmm. and uh, that's it, you know, and that paper doesn't do anything for us. Uh, if you have a wonderful resume and you're a good leader and you're a good person and, you know, then, Hey, you're our guy for sure. But, uh, you know, I've I've had a lot of Marines work for me over the years. Okay. And uh, when a guy walks through the door, and this has nothing against the rest of the services or anything else, but a guy walks through my door, he's a new guy. Hey, you know, what are you doing? What's your name? Yada, yada, yada. And, and somewhere in there he goes, I was a Marine. Like, in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, this is going to be easy. You know what I mean? This is going to be so easy. Because all I need to teach him is how to do what we do. Because right. I can almost guarantee you that work ethic is there. The heart is there. Um, all of those things that truly, I believe, uh, create a, a, an outstanding firefighter, they're already there. Um, I had a girl that worked for me. She was four foot 11. I think four foot seven is actually like characterized as a dwarf or midget or whatever. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, okay. I think there's like a cutoff there somewhere. Right. Uh, right. I don't understand it completely. So don't send me a bunch of emails, but, um, <clears throat> but she was short and she was tiny and, uh, you know, the guys were like, what in the world are we going to do with her? You know what I mean? Uh, but her heart was as big as she was. And uh, that's what separated her. You, no, she can't pull 350 pounds of firemen. But by golly, she had the heart. She'd sit on you, scream, yell, wave a flashlight, call for help, whatever she needed to do. Mm -hmm. um, because she had the heart of a firefighter. She tried as hard as her little self could, could do it. And, uh, and she was an outstanding member of our crew uh, when there was somebody to get in the attic well there was no no just, right. no choice who got in the attic she got in the attic because we didn't even need a scuttle those big guys just shove her up in there you know and right uh so uh but it was all because of her heart her work ethic she tried hard to be there just like everybody else and uh, that's what separates us you can be dumb you can be whatever but if you have the heart for the job i can work with you and we'll make you good at what you do um Sometimes really educated guys, they just think too much, you know, they're mm -hmm. not used to doing just 
hey, be quiet and do what you're told. You know, um, I've had to change what I do. You know, the boot in the rear doesn't work anymore. That leadership tactic that I learned a long time ago, hey, do it because I told you to do it. You know, right. um, that doesn't work very well anymore. Uh, these guys are educated. Uh, they do want to understand what they're doing. Um, but you have to you have to explain to them, hey, I have no problem talking about what we did, but it'll be post doing it. Right. I can't right. explain it to you. I need you to do it. So we spent time before the fires. That's what the kitchen table's for and training's for. Spent a lot of time there just talking and building relationships and understanding where I'm coming from. And and uh, I want them to respect the person that I am, not the badge, um, and understand where I'm coming from. That way, when I tell them something, their brain's telling them, man, that sounds crazy to me. It's okay, because Chief Gordon said, and I, I trust him, right? Right. You got to build that. And then afterwards, anytime a tack hose hits the ground for us, <clears throat> we do a postmortem. We do a, a hot wash. Um, it's badges off. Uh, and that has to be created. That environment has to be created to where they feel comfortable. Uh, from the firefighter to the oldest captain to myself, like we're all equal there. And uh, if you want to know why in the world I had y'all stretch that line to the back, will you ask? You know, and uh, we discuss it. And, uh, and, most people would think I'm nitpicky. Uh, it's not about being nitpicky. It's about going from good to great to better than we could ever be because uh, it's the simple things and the basic tactics that we do. If we can improve those basic tactics to just get better every single time, you'll see that the crews improve. The fire ground tactics improve uh, significantly. And it, it, it's not, it's always the basics. So it, uh, you have to talk about those things. And those young guys want to know why, why are we doing this? Why right. did we do that? Um, <clears throat> and uh, you got to be willing to talk to them. You can't just be the boss that shows up, gives a bunch of words, rolls his window up, drives away. I don't think you got to spend time with them. And uh, you know, a lot of people don't like this new generation or don't want to work with them or whatever. And uh, I, I think they just got it wrong. I think you just need to, it is different. You, you know, most of the guys that I grew up, with that were my bosses they were vietnam vets they they didn't say please thank you no mm -hmm. i was just glad they didn't murder me in the night at some point because <laughs> there was a many times they told me they were going to kill me and i believed them you know i was just right. a dumb rookie but you know that that type of leadership doesn't work anymore right uh, you got to work with these guys and and uh help them understand what we're there for and uh they do a great job man i i like it uh they do a great job for me but um yeah, your work ethic, your your heart, all of those things are are not near as important to me as the education and, and everything else. But with that being said, I think if you're a firefighter sitting out there listening, you need to get an education. Use this opportunity to uh, get a degree and everything else because you have the time. Uh, these online, like Columbia Southern, I know is just one of them because mm -hmm. I see them at every conference I go to. There, I'm sure there's multiple ones out there. You know, they work with the firefighter schedule. Mm -hmm. um, it can't do anything but benefit you. And especially if you want to promote up into the upper command ranks, I mean, you're going to have to have that degree. And uh, for them to keep paying us more and more money, you're going to have to have a degree. But um, a degree in fire science or something, I don't think is going to instantly make you a good firm. All right. Hey, uh, a personal question for me. Do you work or have you ever worked on the same scene as uh, Chief Davis or, or do you guys work two, two separate shifts? Yeah. You do. Yeah. So we we uh, <clears throat> we're on the same shift, Chief Davis and I. Uh, he's uh, southwest side. He's probably six miles or so from me, which is in our world is a long way. Mm -hmm. uh, but. So it's myself, which is downtown. If you head south, southwest, you have what's a, called the Galleria, which is another high-rise district, the next district over. And it's a, a lot of shopping and, and commercial high-rise. That's Eric App. He's a, been our friend and a chief for a long time. He was actually, if you look up uh, Houston Fire May Day, it's a six-story commercial building where a guy's basically dying in there. Mm -hmm. uh, that was Eric. Uh, he was a good friend of ours, is a good friend of ours. And then the next district over is Mo Davis. So, yeah, we do. We get to meet in the middle sometimes, and okay. uh, and uh, we have a good time. We, we 
Mo and I are, are we grew up together. We grew up in this fire department together. We're good, good buddies. Um, I think sometimes I sleep with him in a hotel more than I do my wife because <laughs> we spend a lot of time traveling together. And uh, it's not weird. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> uh no but uh yeah he, he's good people man he is super solid guy and uh you know it's nice because we do work well together with uh eric and we all have the same mentality we all were raised by the same guys and, and uh you know we can have a good time but we're there for folks and and uh yeah i'm, I'm lucky to be there for sure okay all right um how much longer do, do you see yourself with Houston? Because like, I'd imagine if you and let's just say you and Chief Davis decide to retire at the same time, that is a, yeah. a, a buku of experience of tactics of fires just gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the Houston fire department is going through a real struggle right now, which a lot of the big lot, everybody are right. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, the pay is not where it needs to be. Um, the political environment's not great. And, mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to leave. Let's mm -hmm. just be honest. And uh, uh, there was a hiring freeze from like eighty six to ninety or somewhere around there, okay. and then ninety up to ninety five two thousand. We hired a ton of people. Okay. Um, well. All those guys are old now. I'm one of those guys, right? They all got 30, 35. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a huge volume of experience and stuff leaving the Houston Fire Department, which is scary, to be right. honest. For me, um, we just promoted a bunch of new chiefs. Uh, I didn't even know most of them, uh, which is kind of shocking. If I didn't know you, I at least had seen you before right. for most of my career. But now there's guys like, I don't even know where they came from. They've obviously come through the ranks and they're all young and, and, uh, not all of them. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, uh, you know, a lot of the experience is going to leave. I I'm probably got, got a couple of years in me. Uh, one of my mentors that's on the A shift there, chief Miller that, uh, I relieve every day, you know, he doesn't have much longer. Um, and, and he makes me look like a punk. I mean, he's one of the smartest guys out there. Um, and has been to so many fires, has so much experience. I think Mo, I think we're going to end up burying Mo behind 68th Stone <laughs> or something. Probably stay till he's 105 if he can. But, um, but yeah, you know, a lot of the fire departments are losing a huge amount of experience. And, and how you replace that, I don't know. I don't think you can. Right. I think the fire service is going to change. Um, but I think the the blessing is is stuff like you're doing right here. You know, some of it will be around for a long time. Um, these young guys just have to don't get too big for your britches. Mm -hmm. uh, I teach a class right now. You know, I call it uh, being a five percenter, basically. I wanted to say one percenter, but then I Googled that, and those motorcycle gangs get real upset about that, so I just changed it to five percent. <laughs> but uh, the point is, is you know, um, you need to be that top five percent of what you do, but also the, the fire ground, we have fire percenters in the fire ground, right? Uh, right. 95% of what we do is fluff. And yeah, we're glad you were there at the wreck, but you really didn't make a difference. But about 5% of the time, it's trying to kill them and us and everybody else. And and uh, those will humble you very, very quickly. If you mm -hmm. get a little too big for your britches, a little too uh, arrogant, a little too smart, uh, make you one of them five percenters and almost kill your crew and, and, and don't accomplish what you're trying to do and everything else. And you'll realize real fast that, uh, how this uh this fire ground can humble you and uh i think that's what you need to do as a leader you know you need to stay humble uh keep your mind open these young guys who don't have the experience that and they probably never will just because the fires will i don't think you'll ever see the glory days you know the war days uh, right you know, the 70s 80s 90s um uh but there's got to be you've got to you've got to learn it somewhere is it whether you're doing it once a year or once a week, uh, the outcome has to be the same. And the, the public expectation of you is the same, whether you're in a little small town or the city of Houston. Um, and you just have to train, train, train. I know my guys get tired of training. Why are we training on this again? But, you know, 
we have to, we just have to. And, and there's days, you know, we'll take days off. Sundays is kind of our, we try to make it like old school, you know, like you were at mm -hmm. grandma's house, we eat mm -hmm. a good meal and lay around, watch football and, um, you know, those type of things. And, and I think they need those days too, but you got to hold them to a high expectation because firemen will give you what you want. If you want nothing and expect nothing, that's what they'll that's give you. Be happy to do that. Yep. Yep. You know, not that they're lazy, but if you want me, you let me be lazy, I'll be lazy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but if you hold them to a high expectation, then they'll do a good job there too. And, uh, but everything within balance, you know, I, okay. I work them pretty hard for several hours and then we're done with it. And then okay. the rest of the day is theirs. Cause you know, that station's notorious is there's two pumpers there and they're not, it's nothing for them to make nine a piece after midnight. So, mm. uh, yeah, you know, those guys need some rest. You know? Yeah. So you can't be, you can't be a, a, I don't know, just a taskmaster and you gotta understand people, you know, don't be a turd just to be a turd. You understand right. people, treat people right, and you'd be amazed what they'll do for you. Right. Um, you know, uh, we made a little fire the other day and a two-story commercial and everybody's driving the fire went out too fast. I was like, Well, it's because y'all are good at what you do. What do you want me to do? Hold your back, <laughs> let it burn old because everybody wanted a piece of it and there wasn't enough. And I'm like, you guys are never happy, right? right never right, happy. Right. Not to this level, this thing would have burned down in a lot of districts here. It was just nothing to it. And y'all are mad because you can do nothing. Oh, right. Sorry. I don't know how to fix that. So we ain't going backwards. So <laughs> absolutely. Okay. All right. Uh lastly, if if anybody wants to get a hold of you or your company, how can they go about doing so? <clears throat> sure. So uh uh I do social media a little, right? I'm on Facebook and it's just Clyde Gordon or uh, uh, the guys did a hashtag, hashtag ride with Clyde. It was a joke. And then it kind of, it hooked and, uh, yeah. and went from there. So I use it. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of funny, but uh, then uh, H town fire training at gmail.com is the, my email and they can message me through Facebook, send an email uh, however, whatever is easiest. Um, and, uh, I'll get back with them. Okay. All right. Chief, I do appreciate you taking time out to, uh, doing this. I also have to, uh, also give my thanks to, so you met three guys out of my department. They went down to Pensacola. You met, uh, Captain Rick Dunn, uh, engineer, Jeremy Gilbert and senior firefighter, Sean J. Holtham was down there. So Rick, uh, Captain Dunn was the reason why I was able to make contact with you. So I, I appreciate you listening to him and let me reach out to you to get this done. Oh man, it's no problem at all. And, uh, you know, this is what it all boils down to. I, I love firemen and I love the fire service and, and I've been so lucky to travel and meet guys and, uh, you know, uh, I just love it. And it, and it's a, it's a shot in my arm too. You know, um, it gets me excited about it again and, and go back and, and if I can make your life easier, if I can share something with you, if I can just reinforce what you were thinking, um, whatever, you know, that's, that's what it's here, what we're here for. I sit in, uh, classes sometimes with my heroes, you know, Ray McCormick's and Mike Champos mm -hmm. and these guys mm -hmm. that have been around that I've been watching since I was a kid and, um, you know, and sometimes I'll think, man, his class is real similar to mine. Like maybe I'm following him or whatever, but then I'm like, wait a minute, that's actually a really good thing. So if I'm thinking like Mike Champo, man, I gotta be somewhere in the right ballpark, you know, right. sometimes that's, uh, that helps you, right? You go to a conference, you sit there and you listen, you're like, well, I didn't really learn anything earth shattering. Well, what that should tell you is, Hey, you're tracking, you're doing pretty well. Right. You know, just keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, but no, I'm very thankful, man. I appreciate guys that take the time. I appreciate you. Um, if no one cared, no one wanted to listen, I wouldn't have anybody talk to but my wife and she don't care nothing about it. So uh, she'd rather <laughs> me have more friends out there than hang out with her all the time. So I think she cries when I talk about retiring and thought of me being home every day a little much for <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all going to get to that point where you know, I'm sure the wives are going to be like, I really wish you'd go find something to do. That's but. right. Yeah. She's like, you got to make more friends. 
So that's why she's like, hey, you got to get this training thing going, man. Get out there and do more and more and more. I think she just wants me gone. Got <laughs> me that chief but seriously thank yeah. you very much for for taking the time oh, to do this i appreciate it sir no problem man tell them guys hello and you guys be careful out there all right you do the same sir all right brother talk to you there all right bye-bye if any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator goal-oriented hard-working humble passionate and professional Regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.